God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today, and thanks so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you, wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Now, would you open in your Bibles to Genesis 31 and 32 today? 32 is a short chapter, and we're going to finish up the last few verses of 31 before we get into chapter 32. And like I said, that's where we're going to be today. And as you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. You know, I'd like to talk to you today about power in the silence. Last week in chapter 31, we saw that Jacob really had two serious problems that he was facing. Behind him and coming up fast was Laban, his cruel and evil uncle, who felt that Yaakov had stolen all of his wealth. But in reality, Laban was trying to make Yaakov work for nothing for 20 years of labor that Yaakov had uh, put in for Laban and without complaining. But yet still on up ahead, Yaakov would meet up with his brother Esau. Remember when he left Canaan to come and to Laban's area and get a wife for himself? When he left Canaan 20 years ago, Esau, his brother, wanted to kill him for taking his birthright and stealing his blessing from their father, Yitzchak. It's been 20 years, though. What if Esau was still angry? Yaakov didn't really know. He, he might have gotten over it, but he might still be angry and, and try to take Yaakov's life. So both behind Yaakov and in front of him, there was danger. But not only for him, now he's got a family. Now he's got two wives. Now he's got all of these kids, too. And Yaakov has to figure out the best way to protect his wives and his children and himself. He's in the middle of nowhere, all alone in the wilderness. No joyous laughter of the children around him tonight. No good food to eat. He's surrounded. He's not surrounded by friends. No, instead he's being squeezed in by enemies. And this may be his last night alive. But he worries the most about his family, the wives and the children. What's going to happen to them? So he tries to come up with a plan, tries to hide them away. He comes up with a plan and separates them so that in case Esau finds one group of them and kills them, then perhaps the other group would be able to get away and survive. He himself, Yaakov, is in a place all alone hoping that his own life might be enough to turn away Esau's wrath. And tomorrow, Esau will arrive with 400 of his men, a small army against a small family. Why would Esau bring so many men if he was coming in peace? There's an eerie silence all around Yaakov as he lies down this night and tries to sleep. He's all alone. There's no reassuring thoughts, no plans that provide hope that he can convince himself that are going to work. There's nowhere to turn. But then he remembers the Lord. It was the Lord that warned Laban in a dream not to touch Yaakov the night before Laban finally comes into Yaakov's camp. Maybe God would do the same thing with his brother Esau. But anyway, Yaakov is exhausted. 
Does he trust in his own plans or does he put all of his care in God's hands? Remember, he doesn't know much about the Lord. The Lord has promised him that he would be with him, that he would bless him and give him descendants, but he doesn't have a lot of time with the Lord, you know, and he's seen the Lord defend him. He's seen the Lord be with him in other occasions. Will God be with him this time? And he wrestles with the decision whether to trust God or to trust his own plans. But out there as he lies down on the ground all alone, he notices the vast expanse of God's heavens overhead. Far away from any city lights, stars without number fill the sky like thick clouds of dust. They just look like clouds. They're so far away and so many of them. As far as Yaakov can see, the night sky fills his vision and it fills his imagination. The heavens, as the Bible says, are declaring the glory of God. Psalm 19 verse 1. The skies are showing the work of God's hands. He's the creator of it all. The awesome sights utter no sound out there at that night, but there's unimaginable power portrayed in the silence that surrounds Yaakov. Yaakov doesn't know if his family and himself will be alive or dead tomorrow, but he comes to the conclusion that only God can be his salvation. And he pours out his heart to the Lord. And as he gives all of his worries, all of his cares to God, he senses that the Lord has heard him. And with an incredible display of God's power silently overhead, giving witness to God's goodness and might, Yaakov senses that the power of God is in the silence that night. Again, he senses, like we said last week, that God would certainly be enough. The question is, is will God help him? So let's finish up quickly where we left off in the last few verses of chapter 31 last week. And then as soon as we do that, we'll go into the next short chapter of Genesis 32, and that'll wrap up our message for today. But beginning at chapter 31 of the book of Genesis, remember, Hasefe Bereshit, verse 43, it says, And Laban answered and said to Yaakov, These daughters are my daughters. These children are my children. This flock is my flock. All that you see is mine. But what can I do this day to these my daughters or to their children whom they've born? Verse 44 then says, Now therefore come, let us make a covenant me and you, and let it be a witness between me and you. And this is where we left off in our verses last week. In fact, what I just read, we covered last week. But we needed to get into that before we could carry up with the few verses now that in chapter 31. So it says in verse 45, then continuing, so, ya so Yaakov took a stone, he set it up as a pillar, and then Yaakov said to his brothers, gather stones. And they took stones and they made a heap of stones. That's all they had to work with. That was the building materials that they had. So they just made a, pea, a heap of stones, a pile of stones, and they ate there on that heap as kind of a ceremony or a covenant. It says in verse 47 that Laban called the place Yegar Sahaduta, or heap of witness. That's what it means in Aramaic, and that's the language that... Uh, Laban was speaking where he was from in Padan Aram, or roughly an area of Syria. And Laban said, this heap 
is a witness between you and me this day. He says this in verse 48. Therefore its name was called Galid, also Mizpah, because he said, May the Lord watch between you and me when we're absent from one another. Verse 50, And if you afflict my daughters, or if you take other wives beside my daughters, although no man is with us, see this covenant, God is our witness. He's the witness between you and me. Then Laban also said to Yaakov, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar, which I have placed between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not pass beyond this heap to you, and you will not pass beyond this heap, this pillar, to me for harm. Then verse 53, The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, and the God of their father judge between us. This is what Laban is saying now. We know that Laban is a godless man. He, he worships idols, idols that are not true gods. And so now he's invoking the God of Abraham, which is, of course, the grandfather of Yaakov, and the God of Nahor, his father, as well. And he doesn't know which God to worship. So he's invoking them both and saying, that those gods will judge between us. And Yaakov, though, swore by the fear of his father Yitzchak, which was the Lord God, who had made the covenant of Abraham with Yitzchak, his son, as well. And now has passed it on down to Yaakov when Yaakov was traveling out to Padan Aram. And Yaakov, it says, swore by the fear of his father Yitzchak. Verse 54, And then Yaakov offered a sacrifice on the mountain, and called his, brother to eat bread, his brothers to eat bread. And they ate bread, and they stayed all night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban arose. He kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them. And Laban departed and returned to his place. Now, it's interesting to me that Laban is doing all the talking. He's doing the warnings. Remember that God met with him the day before he caught up with Yaakov and the ones in Yaakov's uh, camp. And God warned him, said, don't you say anything to Yaakov, good or bad. Basically, God was saying, I'm watching you. I'm going to hold this to your account. But then Laban comes out there and he's doing all the talking. It's interesting, isn't it, that Laban is telling what this covenant is going to mean. And uh, in kind of a legal sense, he's like the lawyer in this negotiation. It's not really a negotiation. Interestingly enough, Yaakov is staying silent. Now, why is that? Laban's got nobody to trust. He doesn't know God, and his gods are only idols. In fact, remember last week, he was worried because someone stole his gods. Man, if you have gods that can be stolen and can be kidnapped, that's, that's a pretty puny god, I would say, you know. It's interesting to me that Laban is doing all the talking and Yaakov is being silent. And I think the reason for that is, is Yaakov, knows that God is going to be his blessing. God is going to be his protection in this covenant. It doesn't matter what threats Laban makes. God is going to take care of Yaakov. And he's told him as much already. And he showed him as much because God spoke to Laban the night before Laban spoke to Yaakov. He said, don't you say anything bad to him. Don't even say anything good. He's mine. Remember? He, God is saying of Yaakov, He's mine. Touch not the anointed of the Lord is what He's saying. 
Yaakov didn't say anything. He knows that God's going to take care of him. He knows that he can trust in the Lord. But now we're going to see trials like Yaakov hadn't experienced yet. Laban was just going to rebuke Yaakov. Probably wouldn't do him any harm, but might take back all the flocks and his two daughters and, and the flocks of goats and sheep and everything. But now, on up ahead, Yaakov is going to face a greater danger. You know, it's always best to have the Lord watching over you. He's all wise. He's all powerful, all knowing. He loves you greatly. You're in good hands when you give all your cares and all your worries to the Lord rather than trying to take care of them all yourself. How many times have your plans failed in life? Plenty, right? And you've had to revise plans, and one plan didn't work out, so you had to do something else. And sometimes you just lost altogether. You couldn't fix the things that you were worried about. Why don't you give all of those things to the Lord and put your life in His hands? So as this chapter finishes up, Yaakov has survived the encounter with Laban. Laban's going back home because the Lord protected Yaakov from Laban, and Laban was warned by God. But now Yaakov has to face his brother Esau, and Yaakov is very afraid of what's going to happen when he finally sees his brother. Twenty years ago, his brother wanted to kill him. That's why he had to leave Canaan and come to Padan Aram and, and Laban's place and everything to keep out of danger, to keep from losing his life. And so now, let's get into chapter 32. Starting at verse 1, it says, So Yaakov went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Yaakov saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And so he called the name of that place Mahanaim. Mahanaim is camp. So you have Mahanaim Yehudah in Jerusalem, the camp, the Jewish camp. These are the tents, in other words, the camp of where these people are camped. And so Yaakov called this place Mahanaim, or the camp where God's camp was, because all these angels met him. Remember on the way to Padanaram that he had stumbled across this place where he saw this ladder going up to heaven, and angels of God descending and ascending between the earth and heaven on this ladder. And so he said, this is the gate to heaven. This is the very place of God. So he named the place Beit El, place of God. Beit, place, El. <clears throat> Remember, as I said to you before, Beit Cafe is a place of coffee. That's what they call a coffee shop. Be'ivrit, Be'ivrit in Hebrew. Beit Cafe. So this is the place of God's camp. This is where the angels are. And so Yaakov says, oh, this must be the place where God keeps all of his kingdom and all of his angels, and I've just stumbled across it. No, the universe is God's. God made it all. He fills the universe. His angels can go anywhere he sends them. But this is the place where he sent these angels to meet Yaakov. And it says in verse 3 then that Yaakov sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, he commands now his messengers, saying, speak to my lord Esau. He's not calling him his brother. He said, speak to my master, my lord Esau. Thus your servant Yaakov says, 
I have dwelt in Laban. I've stayed, I've, I've dwelt with Laban. I've stayed there until now. Verse 5, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I've sent you to tell you, my Lord, that I may find favor in your sight. I just real quickly, we comment on that. Why is he telling Esau, his brother, this? Well, I remember the last time that Esau saw him, Jacob was stealing things. He wasn't trying to get them legally. He wasn't trying to purchase them or acquire them ethically or legally or the proper way, the right way. He was trying to steal his brother's things like the blessing, trying to take his brother's things like, like the uh, uh, firstborn, the uh, birthright. And so now we see that he's telling his brother Esau, I've got all of these possessions. Well, what was he saying? He's basically saying, oh, you don't have to worry about me stealing your stuff this time because I've got more than I need for myself. So it's okay. I won't be stealing your stuff. Okay, that's a good start, I suppose. But then verse 6, he continues, Then the messengers returned to Yaakov after they did what he said and said these things to, to his brother. Well, did you see my brother Esau? He said, oh, yeah, we came to your brother Esau, and he also is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. So Yaakov was greatly afraid and distressed. And he divided the people that were with him, the flocks and the herds and the camels. And he put them into two different groups or two different companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. Maybe they'll escape. Maybe they'll survive. Then verse 9, then Yaakov said, turns his attention to God and he says, Oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will deal well with you. God, remember you said you'd be with me, you'd deal well, well with me. Then verse 10 he says, I'm not worthy of the least of all of your mercies and of all the truth which you've shown me. Over the years, he's recounting and remembering and considering the goodness of God. That's a good thing for all of us to do. And then he says to God, I crossed over this Jordan with just my staff, just my stick that I used to walk with. And now there's two companies of people with me, all these flocks. He's thinking about these things. And then in verse 11, he gets right down to the bottom line. He says, deliver me, I pray from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, God, he says in verse 12, for you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that same night and took what came to his hand as a present for Esau, his brother. Whatever he had, he tried to make it as a present to give his brother, to meet his brother before his brother got there with those 400 men. And so he assembled 200 female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milk camels with their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys and 10 foals. And then he delivered them to the hand of his servants. Every drove by itself. And he sent these one drove after another, each with a whole bunch of gifts for his brother Esau, hoping to appease and placate 
and pacify his brother Esau so that his brother Esau doesn't want to kill him anymore. And then in verse 17, he commanded the first drove, saying, When Esau my brother meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong and where are you going? Who are these in front of you? Then you shall say, he's telling his messengers, These are your servant Yaakov's. It's a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he's behind us. Yaakov is behind us and he's on his way. So he commanded the second and the third droves and all who followed the droves, saying, In the same manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And also say, Behold, your servant Yaakov is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the presents that go before me, and afterward, when I see his face, perhaps he will accept me. So the present went on before him, but he himself stayed that night in the camp. He was alone. He sent everyone else on ahead. In two companies, he split them apart. And then it says, He arose that night and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed over this river Jabok, on the ford of Jabok. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had so that he was left alone. And then it simply says that a man wrestled with Yaakov until the break of day. Verse 25 says, Now when he, that man who wrestled with him, saw that he could not prevail, that he did not prevail against Yaakov, the man touched the socket of Yaakov's hip, and the socket of Yaakov's hip was put out of place, out of joint as he wrestled with him. And they were wrestling. And then the man says in verse 26, Let me go because the daybreak is happening. The morning, the dawn is about to happen. The day is coming on, so I need to go. But Yaakov told him, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. He spent all night wrestling with this man. And then the man said to him, Okay, what's your name? And Yaakov said, My name is Yaakov. In verse 28, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be called Yaakov, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Yaakov asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And the man said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So he blessed him like Yaakov wanted. Then verse 30, Yaakov called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Peni is face, bevrit, or in Hebrew. Peniel is the face of God. So he says, I've seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him. And Yaakov went away walking with a limp on his hip. Therefore to this day the children of Israel do not eat the muscle that shrank on the hip where his hip was put out of joint, which is on the hip socket. And that muscle kept that bone into the hip socket, you see. But that muscle shrank. It was no longer able to keep the leg bone, the thigh bone, in the hip socket and so that was the muscle that was put out of place. So anytime they eat meat, they don't eat that particular muscle on any animal, you see. 
because that was where that man touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. Now let's talk about these things. It's interesting that we don't know really any other details about this man that wrestled with Jacob. But the Bible seems to call this man the Lord. Jacob agrees with that because he says, I've seen the face of God. And then that man himself said, okay, I'll bless you. You are now called Israel. Your name used to be Yaakov. Remember what Yaakov meant? It meant supplanter, deceiver, a con man. What does Israel mean? It means prince of God or governed by God. You used to be a con man. You used to be stealing and deceiving people to try to take care of yourself. But now you're going to be governed by God. Now, God is going to take control of your life. You're not going to mess your life up anymore like you used to do. Now you've given your life to God in your prayer and in meeting Him on the way out there and on the way back now and asking Him for His help. You've given your life, your protection, your guidance, your care, for not only for you, but for your family, your children, your wives, everyone who's with you. You've given all of your cares, all of your worries to the living God who made all of those stars up there. Now your name will be governed by God. Israel. Israel. Hear the L at the end? That's short for Elohim. Israel. Your help is God. God is going to govern you. God is going to lead you. You are now a prince of God cared for by God. Now, this shows us also that Yaakov persisted in prayer, that he wouldn't let this man that he was wrestling with go until the man blessed him. He perceived that this was the Lord. Before, God had spoken with him, but now God's wrestling with him. I'll tell you what, you know, I, I wouldn't want to wrestle with the Lord, you know, but Yaakov, even though he was injured, would not let go of the Lord. You can almost see, I mean, the, the Lord reaching out, touching his hip. Now his hip is out of joint. You can't go anywhere. How are you going to walk with one leg? How are you going to fight with one leg? How are you going to continue to wrestle? So he grabs hold of the Lord and he won't let go. He won't let go. Uh, God, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. That's a lesson for prayer right there. Instead of saying that little short prayer, and oh God, please uh, take care of this. Okay, God, I got to go now. So thank you so much for doing all this. No, Yaakov held on to the Lord. He says, I'm not letting you go until you bless me. I'm not letting you go. I'm not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop praying, God, until you ask me. Uh, answer me, God, and you bless me, God. I'm not letting go until you bless me. So don't just give up a quick prayer because you're busy. God wants to see that you really mean it. He wants to see that you're desperate for Him, that you recognize that you can't fix your own problems, that there's serious things that you're facing and that only God can care for you. He wants to see your need for Him to answer, and He will honor that persistence. In fact, that's what the New Testament, Habrita Chadashah, Be'evrit, that's why I always say New Testament, Be'evrit in Hebrew, Habrit HaChadashah, Ha is the, Brit is covenant. 
Hachadasha, the new, the covenant, the new. That's how they say the New Testament. We say New Testament. Covenant is the same word. They're synonyms. It says the new covenant. That's what it, it's called even in the Tanakh. In the book of Yeremiahu Hanavi, Jeremiah the prophet, in chapter 30, 31, you'll see that speaks about the new covenant God is going to make with the house of Judah, the house of Israel. Well, that's what the New Testament also says about persistence. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 1 through 8, you can read it. But basically, this lady is trying to get justice from this judge that's in her town, in her city, and someone has wronged her, and she's trying to get the judge to rule in her favor. And she keeps knocking on his door, and he says, go away. And the Bible simply says this judge didn't fear God, and he didn't fear man. He didn't want to be bothered with this lowly lady coming up to ask him for justice for her cause or her legal situation. And he didn't want to be bothered by her at all. And he kept sending her away, but she kept coming back. She persisted. She kept coming back. And then the Bible says that the judge says, even though I don't fear God or man, I'm going to answer this lady's cry just to get rid of her. And then Jesus said, now that's what the evil judge says. But your father in heaven is good. So how much more will he honor your persistence when you come to him? Yes, he desires for you to ask in faith. But sometimes, if you don't think you have the faith, you be persistent and ask him for his mercy and keep coming before God. Don't let go of him until he blesses you. You see what I'm saying? Now, next week, we're going to see the amazing thing that God does in response to Yaakov's prayer. That heartfelt prayer moved the hand of God to rescue Yaakov. But there's some things here that are amazing that we can learn from the verses we looked at today. To start with, that simple prayer, softly spoken to God in the silence of the night, changed everything that Yaakov was facing. And God can do the same for you, change your situation that you're facing. Here's what I'm saying. God is trying to get your attention. It's easy to go through life thinking that you have to be working on something every moment that you're awake. And there's a huge number of things in the world that are competing for your attention after all. Have you noticed that this parade of so-called emergencies coming across your path never seems to end? That's because the enemy is trying to keep you from your fellowship, your communion with God. The enemy knows that that's where the power is. If he can keep you away from spending time with God in your relationship, you'll eventually get tired, you'll feel hopeless in your walk with the Lord, and you'll be tempted to give up. But the power is in the quiet times with God. These are the times when you pour out your heart to the Lord, and He fills you with new strength. Remember that verse in Isaiah? Chapter 40, verse 31, it says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's in the book of Yeshayahu Hanavi, Beperik Abaim, Bepasuk, Shloshim, Echad. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 40, verse 31. 
You know, when Jesus and his disciples were walking everywhere, they didn't have the bus, they didn't have the trains, they didn't have uh, Tesla electric cars, they didn't have Ford Mustangs or Chevrolet Camaros, didn't have any of that. They walked everywhere. So they had plenty of times of silence. They had silent times when they could listen for God. Silent times when they could talk to the Lord in their heart. Footstep after footstep, surrounded by the thoughts of the one that they were walking with, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, wondering about Him, considering the miracles that they had seen Him do. They had silent times when they could consider the things of God, when they could think on the Scriptures. They had silent times where they could wait on the Lord. Times with no distractions, no cell phones and smartphones and, and computers. Can you imagine what that would mean for your walk with the Lord? But in today's world, you get home and there's a television, there's the internet, there's the text, the commercials, the phone calls, the problems that demand your attention. Where's your power? Your quiet times, your silent times for seeking the Lord. Where's the power of your quiet times with the Lord? Today, people can't even drive to the store without some music to listen to, without checking on their Facebook, without looking at their latest texts. Where's the silence? Where's the power in your life? The power's in your quiet times with the Lord. All God really wants from you is your relationship. It's not about your works. It's about knowing God and having a relationship with Him. These are the times of sending down the roots into the soil to tap into the nutrition and the water in the soil. It's the quiet times that bring the real growth, the strengthening of your spirit, the healing of your heart. It's the quiet times that show you the direction to go, when to pause, when to get going again. The power is in the silent times. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. When's the last time you were still and thought about who God is? Do you know the Lord? Is your life in His hands? His peace can come to your heart today. If you will hear His voice, open the door to your heart and let Him in. Be still and know that He is God. Why don't you give your life to the Lord today, right now? You can call out to Him and He'll hear your cry. He'll answer you. He'll rescue you from the darkness you're in, that trial you're facing. He'll have you come through it one way or the other, but He'll take care of you and He'll use it for the good for you. You may not see the answer that you were seeking, but the answer that He gives will be the best one available for you. He wants the very best for you. And some of these trials teach us valuable lessons about life that are going to save us from a whole lot of problems and pain down the road. Give God your life. He'll rescue you. He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all of those past failures away, and you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He even gives you everlasting life in heaven, and that's His promise guaranteed by God Himself. 
We want to give you an opportunity today to believe in Jesus as the Messiah and Lord and to receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can even repeat it after me if you'd like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have this real peace in my life. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. It's that simple. If you prayed that prayer, God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. A little seed's been planted deep down in your heart, just like seeds are. You may not see a change today or tomorrow, but over a little bit of time, that growth that's happening under the soil is going to break through and you're going to see the beautiful things that God is doing in your life, deep down in your heart. You're going to see the wonderful changes He's making in you and you're really going to like your new life in Him. Get in a good Bible-based church to feed that seed from the Word of God. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life. 